Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to uh, share somebody who's uh, so important to me in my life, uh, Pastor Jim Hennessy is no stranger to Summit Church at all. In fact, I think he's preached here more than probably any of our staff, except Kim and I probably, uh, because we've had him so regularly and, and so many times through the years. But he functions in our church as an overseer for me personally. Um, so he speaks into me, he challenges me at times, and uh, he just functions as my pastor. He's a spiritual father for me, and I'm grateful for him and what he's imparted to me through the years and what he's imparted to this church. And he leads a fantastic church in Cedar Hill, Texas called Trinity Church. And I am grateful that, uh, that he can get away and, and share uh, what's in his heart with churches like ours. And his wife, Becky, is fantastic. She's a gift as well. And some of you know her because she's been a part and been around some as well. And I just love this couple so much. And I know if you don't know who they are, you will too. And so if you would, please welcome with me to the stage, Pastor Jim Hennessy. Pastor Mel, God bless you, sir. What a joy it is to be with Summit Church again, and uh, we love you guys so much. One of the assignments over my life really is to serve your pastor, to watch, oh, make sure he behaves. Is he behaving? Can you, anybody want to, nobody raise their hands? Um, I don't know. So um, really to just be, be um, just be a friend, and I, I think by trying to serve these guys, Mel and Kim, my life has become so enriched. They, they just have so much to, um, to, to bring to our lives. Anyway, it's all just, it's just good to be here. I'm so happy um, to be able to share with you this morning. This is an unusual time in my life. I, I've mentioned at the other services that after 43 years of pastoring, it's, there's a phenomenon that's happening at, at our church and it's built around an expression of God's activity in families. In, in a really unprecedented way, we're seeing um, marriages that seem so dull and dead come alive, some that are irreconcilable in the natural realm, but, but God is just doing miracles. And, and um, sons and brothers and parents who have been ostracized from the family, isolated, are just showing up at birthday parties and uh, saying, can I come to the funeral? It's just really a, a marvelous thing. And it's out of that activity in our own house that I want to share with you, with you today. We've looked for a language really to describe this, and, and the best language we could really come up with is just family revival. We feel like God is really increasing his love, his presence, uh, his substance in our families. And so that's really what I'd like to talk to you today uh, about family revival. But very specifically, I'd like to equip you to be a positive force in your family. And, and so the title of the message is How Honor, Honor <clears throat> Restores Broken Relationships. How Honor Heals and Restores 
broken relationships. And uh, I really haven't asked you to do this in any of the other services, but you guys, this is, it's a Texas tradition and I'm miserable not doing it. So would you stand please to honor the reading of God's word? I have two texts of scripture I'd like to share with you. The first is Ephesians chapter three. And this is the foundational prayer for the activity that I've just described. When, when I talk about what God is doing, it's because we consecrated ourselves to a new dimension of prayer. And this prayer really is the equipping prayer by which our families are being restored. It's actually the prayer of a spiritual father who is praying over his spiritual family. And I personally have adopted this prayer as a prayer. I pray this every day over my two prodigal sons. Every day I am praying this prayer over my family and I would just challenge you to do the very same thing. It's Ephesians chapter three. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a reason to pray, gang. There's a reason to pray. Some of the things that need to happen in your family cannot happen without supernatural activity and that's why we pray. So for this reason, says Paul, I am on my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And again, I'm not preaching on this, but I just, I'm going to pause from time to time in the prayer to remind you that there is a name for your family. That means there's a destiny, there's a sovereignty by which God has put you in the family that you're in, and there's a means by which your family is to bring glory to God in the earth. All right, there's a purpose over your family. So every family in heaven and earth is named that he, God, would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. This is no, this is no puny prayer. This is not praying that Joey will make the varsity team or that Susie's sprained ankle will get better next week. This is a dad saying, I want my family to be strong by the power of the Holy Spirit that's indwelling them. And I don't know if we're praying this, parents, over our children or not, but I challenge you that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in Love, that you being rooted, there's a root to our spirituality, it's love, that you be rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend together with all the saints, the width and the length and the depth and the height, uh, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. I, I, don't, I don't know how you know something that's unknowable, but as you open your heart to the love of God, there begins to be this increasing comprehension of his love. It's never static, guys. It's never static. That we would know the love of God that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be filled. This is no partial spiritual commitment. Our lives are consumed with this God of love. See, and again, parents, please, if you're not praying this over your children, please, I challenge you. This is a powerful prayer that, that our boys, our girls, our, our, our students would be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us, to him be 
glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a good prayer, right? You like that prayer? You like the Bible? The other service loved the Bible. They really did. They liked it so much better than, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. And then one more verse of scripture, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. I bet you know this one. It says, honor your, honor, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord's giving you something here. And honor is one of the tools, it's a very significant tool to live well in the land that God is giving you. And this, dear friends, is God's word. You may be seated. I feel like every time that I've come to Summit Church, I've mentioned this one sentence. I'll do it again. When the Bible talks about glory, it's using, the Bible is using a very technical term to describe the manifestation of the attributes of God. When God shows up, when we sense God, we say, oh, that's his glory. It's his presence. God is among us. We sensed his presence earlier. I even sense his presence right, right now. It's the glory of God. But I think that typically, Christians, believers, we think of God's glory as mystical or smoky. You know, it's like, oh, it's this out there, out there. But what I've come to suggest today is that while it does sometimes seem that God's glory is mystical, it's also very practical. The glory of God, the manifestation of God's presence has a purpose. It solves real problems in the earth. So, for instance, when Jesus turned water into wine, the Bible says that it showed his glory. That's a glory. That's a big deal to turn water into wine. You've never done that before. That's a God thing, right? So, so turning water into wine is a manifestation of the glory of God. But if you're the event coordinator and you've run out of wine, that solved a practical problem for you. If, if you fished all night, you caught no fish. But Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side. You're like, oh, that doesn't even make sense. But it's a manifestation of the glory of God. And it solves a practical problem if your livelihood is to sell fish at the market. And I'm just trying to give you an idea that the glory of God actually does solve problems. See? The way I like to say it is when heaven comes, earth gets better. And so there's a legal basis for us to, to expect for the desert to blossom like a rose. There's a legal basis for us to expect that blind eyes will be healed or that the school will get better and solve its problems. We were talking to a school board member earlier. Uh, you know, there, there's a legal basis for us to really expect that, you know, if you can't sleep well at night, the glory of God helps you sleep. I'm just saying, the glory of God solves practical problems. And this is part of what is involved in God taking us into the land that he's giving us. How many of you would agree with me and say, I don't think everything that God intends has already showed up at, in, in Indiana, Pennsylvania. 
There's a land that he's given us. And, and his glory is part of the way that he practically equips us to live in the land that he's providing. For instance, God really, really wanted the children of Israel to live well. He wanted them to live well in the promised land, in the land that he was giving them. And, and, and he wanted those walls to fall. He wanted those gardens to grow big grapes. And so there was a process of glory um, God showed up at a burning bush to Moses out in the wilderness. A voice came and said, tell him I am. And, and then the plagues, which, you know, persuaded Pharaoh that he better let the, the people go. And then the Red Sea opened up and the children of Israel crossed on, on dry ground. And then there was a, gl- a cloud that guided the, the people to the particular location where Moses went up. Mount Sinai into the glory of God. Now this one really was mystical because it was clouds and it was smoke and it was thunder and it was lightning. When Moses came down, he had, I don't know, what do you want to call them? The big 10. (laughs) He had the 10 doable, practical instructions for living well in the land. That we call them the Ten Commandments. And I know recently you've had a series on the Ten Commandments. But when we go through the Ten Commandments, all of them are united by this one common principle. And it's my subject today. They're united by the idea that God wants us to live well in the land if we would learn to honor. Commandment number one, honor God with everything you have. Honor his name. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your neighbors. Come to number five and it's like honor your father and your mother. Honor your family. Honor in your family. Causes your family to flourish, you see. I I looked at the word honor. Of course I did. The definition is to adhere adhere to or to to offer great respect, or to give special recognition. And you may know that the word glory is a cousin to the word honor. They have the same root word. They come from the same etymology. And basically, it means, both words mean to make weighty, to give substance to your life, to be the anchor, we sang it, to be the anchor when the waves, come on waves, I've got a weightiness to my life. I'm solid. I'm not going to be tossed to and fro every time there's an adverse wind that comes into my life because I've weighted my life around the things I know about God, you see. Honor, honor is to establish your life so that, so that you, have, you, you have perseverance in, in every difficult situation. And so, you know, honor, honor's worth fighting for, y'all. Honor goes all the way back to creation. You may remember that when God created humans, he created mankind, male and female, he created in the image of God. And uh, oh, it was good. Male and female and God, they, they were, there was perfect relational harmony. There was a perfect family because they deeply respected God and one another. They adhered to one another. It was so good. It was very good. But Satan's jealous heart moved him to seduce the humans away from God. And the humans dishonored God. 
They dishonor God by disrespecting his word, by disobeying what, what he said. And when there was dishonor in the garden, everything broke. It fell apart. And the relationship, especially the relationship between man and woman, fundamentally shifted. Everything changed when dishonor came into the garden. You may remember that before, before there was sin, Adam looked at the woman and he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's like I, that, that's, that's language of honor. It's like, oh, I see you and I see me in you and I see our oneness and I see the image of God in you and it's the most beautiful, wonderful. There was adherence, there was respect, there was, there was this incredible just honor. But after sin, the most interesting thing happened after sin, Adam looked at the woman and he didn't say, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He said, from now on, I'm going to call you Eve because you're the mother of every living thing. And I don't know if you noticed the shift in the relationship, but now instead of being enamored with the image of the woman, he's enamored with the function of the woman. And he says, the basis of our relationship is gonna be on your performance. If you're a good mother, then we'll love one another. You now must perform. Everything shifted from honor to contract and condition. It's a fundamental shift in the way the family functioned. Of course, the telling effect of this shift was that they had to put on clothes. You see, before, there was nothing to hide from one another. There was perfect trust. There was perfect transparency. There was love. There was honor. But now all of that has to be replaced with something. And, and so they're, they're hiding. Now they know for sure they actually can hurt one another. They can dishonor one another. They can blame and put shame and exploitation on one another. So hiding began in the garden. Hurting began in the garden. Because these parents operated in dishonor and shame. It, it flowed into the babies. Cain and Abel, you may know their story. Cain murdered Abel and, and it just propagated an orphan spirit and generation after generation, shame gained momentum. And of course now we're experts at hiding. Humans, humans are great at hiding. We hide in the crowd. We hide behind our computers. We hide behind ESPN. We put our earbuds in so we don't have to have conversations in the airport. We hide on social media, we hide behind our busyness, we hide behind our lies. We cover ourselves with our accomplishments, we cover ourselves with our fashion, we cover ourselves with our money. Whatever we think might protect us from some other human being exploiting us or taking advantage of us or blaming us or shaming us, whatever we can hide behind, we will because now we know for sure that humans have a great capacity to hurt us. Guilt. Guilt is objective. Either I ran the red light or I didn't. Okay? I, I either ate from the apple or I didn't. I either murdered my brother or I didn't. But guilt has a consequence. And the guilt consequence is shame. And I think 
personally, I think shame is more devastating than guilt because shame goes to our core. Shame contaminates our identity. It's one thing for me to say, yeah, Mel, I stole your car. I took it to Blairsville or whatever, you know. It's another thing for Mel to say to me, you're a car thief. You know the difference? I mean, I hear parents all the time and they're, they're, they're speaking to their family members and they're, they're saying, you know, you're a pervert, you're a slob, you're a whiner, you're a liar. And I'm just saying that's so different from some action that might have been committed. And I'm trying to talk about dishonor, damaging our core identity, our soul struggles, and our soul is imprisoned when shame is being put on us. And yet we say it all the time, flippantly, oh, shame on you, shame on you. Shame on you is one of the most difficult things we could ever say to another person. There's some incredible examples of shame, in, intriguing examples of shame in the Bible. One is in 2 Samuel chapter 10. King David's friend was the king of the Ammonites and uh, he died. So David sent a delegation of his friends to the funeral. And when they got there, the Ammonites thought that King David's delegation were spies. And so they they cut their beards just as an act of meanness. That's a pretty mean thing to do, men, don't you think? I mean, come on, cut somebody's beard. But it was worse than that. They also cut out the backside of their trousers. They didn't have trousers, they had robes. So, again, I don't know if you can say butt on a Sunday morning in church, but they, showed, they, they exposed their butts and everywhere they walked. You could just see their derriere. You could see their, their, rear, their rear end. And the Bible says they were greatly ashamed and so David said, okay, well, I'm going to give you permission to hide in your shame. You can hide until your beards grow back. And that's exactly what happened. They hid outside their family, outside their community until their beards grow back. But that's not the end of the story because David decided to send an army to the Ammonites. I'm just trying to get you to see, shame started a family war. Shame started a war. And the reality is there might be people in your family that you're in war with and the root cause might be somebody exposed them, somebody cut their beard, somebody embarrassed them and they don't want to come around you because they're hiding away from the family because of their shame. There's another example in Ezra. Ezra's assignment was to rebuild the temple of the Lord after it had been torn down and he was doing a pretty good job of it but one day he decided to ask the king for horses and protection. Sounds like a good idea to me, but the point is he had asked the king for horses and protection after he had boasted that God was his provider and protector. And the Bible says that Ezra was ashamed that he asked the king for help. I wonder how many times I've done that. Come to church on a Sunday and lift my hands and say, I will trust in you, Lord. I will trust in you. You're my trust. You're my anchor. Say all the things that we're supposed to say on Sunday mornings and then wake up on Monday morning and worry. I wonder who's going to really help me get through this. 
I wonder who's gonna really help me pay the bills that I need to, to build the temple, you see. How many times have I done that? And again, I wonder if there are family members who are, who are dysfunctional around you, who are away from you because they don't feel spiritual enough to be by your side. When you say, how you doing? They're not the ones who say, I'm blessed and highly favored. I, I know I have a personal friend who struggles with same-sex attraction, and she says, I can't come back to church while I'm struggling with my shame and I say to her this is exactly the time that you need to be around your family when you're struggling with shame because everybody struggles with something and anybody who struggles is a candidate for shame for shame are you guys doing okay with this there's another example that I love it's in Nehemiah chapter one Nehemiah is back in Babylon serving his king while some of the remnant people are trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after the temple has been rebuilt. And, and so he just asked the question, how's my family doing over in Jerusalem? And the answer comes back, they're not doing well at all. The walls are still down. They're living in reproach and they have great shame. That was the answer. Your family is dealing with shame. And I feel like that's a picture of a whole generation of believers where the temple is functioning we come to church we sing the songs we experience the presence of God and yet there's a remnant that's paralyzed because something happened a long time ago and is still laying there there's a big pile of shame there's a big pile of reproach that has become normalized in our life and we just go well I guess that's just the way it'll have to be I guess it's just the way I'll live with I'll live with and I just want to remind you that the longer you live with an episode of shame in in your spirit, the more contagious it becomes, the more momentum it gains in your identity, the more entrenched it becomes in your family. Even hap This happens even for worshipers. Come on, somebody. There are memories that you have that should be illegal in your spirit because you're a child of the king. And just because something happened to you or you did something last year or five years ago, that, that should be banished from your identity by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see. Bottom line is that we're living in a generation where shame competes with glory. In some instances, instances shame has literally replaced the glory that we should carry in the church that's why that's why the bible says why jesus says he despise on the cross he despises the shame he despises the shame because he knows what it does to us and instead of an identity that goes around saying i'm so loved by my father and i'm a carrier of the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead and i'm a child of the king shame gives you a completely different testimony and it's like oh i'm not that appreciated and i'm not understood and I'm not wanted and I don't belong I'm just telling you all this because you already know shame really does destroy relationships it really hurts families honestly this is the diagnosis of my own family I have a couple of sons who are away from the Lord they're one of them I have a pretty good relationship with but he's not living in faith and and I feel responsible for that. It's easy for me to feel shame, feel condemnation because I really wasn't that great of a dad. I mean, I wasn't that great of a husband. Early in my marriage, I, I never looked at Beck and said, oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I never, never said anything like that to her. I, I had a relationship based on 
condition and title and contract. Well, if you do what I want you to do, we'll get along great. I'll try to do what you want me to do. And, and I tried to earn her love with my performance. I was always like, look at my trophies, baby. Look at, look at my ministry. Look at my dreams. Look at, look at the trout I can catch. Look at, you know, look at all these things. Look at my teeth. I don't have any cavities. Just don't look at me. Just don't look at me. Because if you look too closely at me, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not who you think I am. I'm living behind an image. I'm hiding. And I put that kind of shame on my kids. I, I made them so fearful that if they didn't perform well enough, they wouldn't earn family love. And so in our house, it was all about making good grades. And it was all about home runs. And it was all about, oh, I'm so proud of you when you, when you do what I want you to do. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't want your kids to succeed and flourish. But I'm just saying don't attach your love to their performance. I have some good news though. Good, Jim, because I really need some good news. I need good news. I'm preaching to myself. I don't have to live with shame. They don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with shame. Your babies don't have to live with shame. Your grandbabies don't have to live with shame because Jesus died on the cross to conquer the shame that's in our lives. Second thing I'd like to offer you this morning by way of equipping your family for really living well in the land Simply that honor heals. Honor is a powerful, redemptive force. And I just want to read the Bible to you for a minute. Joel 2, 26. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied. Talking about in the land. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame a couple of more sentences in that paragraph and then he says it again the second time God says through his prophet my people shall never be put to shame and there's a very famous passage of scripture that is the very next sentence you've probably heard of it and it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy I'm just trying to remind you that when the Holy Spirit comes into you it displays places shame it is not possible for holy spirit and shame to live simultaneously inside you for any duration at all and i'm just saying maybe a fresh outpouring of the holy spirit is what we need to put shame out of the way come on somebody Romans chapter 10 verse 10 says for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. My father, the creator of the universe, the God of all glory, will adhere to us, respect us, draw near to the Father, will honor anyone who follows Jesus. This is a glorious gospel, guys. This is an amazing reality that God wants to, the Father wants to honor us. Just one more verse of scripture, Hebrews 2, 9 through 11. Yes, by God's grace. Jesus tasted death for everyone. 
God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many of his children to glory and it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. We are the family of Jesus according to the word of God. Is this mystical or practical? It's both, right? It's got some benefits to it. My dad was the president of a university for about 18 years in Florida, and his office was guarded by, I think, three secretaries. I lived about 80 miles from where the university was, and from time to time, I just dropped by and surprised him, but getting through the secretaries was going to be an ordeal for almost anybody, because there were always dozens of people with probably much more urgent need than mine to meet with Dr. Hennessy, you see. But you should ask me the question, did you sit in the lobby with all the other people and wait for the buzz Somebody to buzz you in to go see your dad? And of course, the answer is no. When they saw and learned who I was, they brought me donuts. They opened the door. They moved me to the front of the line. They said, go right on in. But I didn't even need their permission to say, go right on in. Because I just walked on in. And it wasn't because I was dressed in a three-piece suit. I could wear flip-flops if I wanted to. It wasn't because I was a fan of the university baseball team. They were a bunch of losers. It wasn't because of anything other than I was bone of his bone. And I was flesh of his flesh. This is my father. And he was always ready to receive me and honor me because I was his son. And I've come all the way from Dallas just to remind you that there are some real benefits to being in the family of God. To having God as your father. Let me close the message by just offering some stories that I think make this real, at least to my life, it makes it real. The first story is in Numbers chapter 12. It's a story about three siblings. It's a story about Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Their name, the name of their father was Jacobed, and... Um, I told the other crowd, it sounds French, but it's not. It's Hebrew, and and, uh, Jacobed was daddy. Miriam was the worship leader, Aaron was the priest, and Moses was the prophet. Well, one day, Moses fell in love and married an Ethiopian, a dark-skinned woman. Um, The two siblings didn't like it very much, and they're not the type to have a direct communication. They're not gonna talk directly to Moses about it, so they just started talking to some other people about it, and they couched their concern in theological language. This is so real, guys. It's just crazy how relevant this story is. They're not gonna deal with Moses with it. They're just gonna round behind his back, and what they say is, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Can't he speak through us as well? And the Bible says this, You can kind of feel the tension. The Lord heard it. (laughs) Because the Lord always hears. 
And what the Lord heard was their jealousy. What the Lord heard was their murmuring. What the Lord heard was their dishonor. And I'll just remind you, God liked Moses a whole lot. So the next scene is God saying, I need you three to meet me at the tent of meeting. I am coming out from behind the veil for this, and we're going to have a family talk. (laughs) And when he appeared before Miriam and Aaron and Moses, he says, Miriam and Aaron, Aaron, you guys step forward. We need need to have a word together. And this is what he said. It's recorded in the Bible. He said, guys, Moses is mine. I speak to him directly. And then he asked them this question, why were you not afraid to murmur against him? Why were you not afraid to dishonor him? And by the time God finishes speaking to Miriam and Aaron, Miriam was leprous. She was white as snow. And I just think there's a little bit of irony that she was so proud of her whiteness that all of a sudden God says, you want to be white? Here, be white. Here's here's some leprosy, you see. Well, Moses did the most interesting thing. He prayed for his family. I don't know if he got on his knees because the Bible doesn't say, but it does record his prayer. He said, Lord, please do not lay this sin on. And you would think the next word would be her or them. But he says, Lord, please do not lay this sin on us. Us! Don't let Miriam die of leprosy. And again, if we have family members who are, who are wounded or diseased or offended or hurt, I'm just telling you, prayer goes a really long way. If you're not praying for your family, don't expect a better result, okay? And, and here's how the Lord responded to Moses' prayer. He said, if her father had spit on her, Would she not be shamed for seven days? There's a lot to that, but basically that was a law of cleanliness. And so God said, put her outside the camp for seven days until she qualifies again to be clean, and then she can come back in the camp. And so for seven days, the whole story of Exodus stopped while everybody waited for Miriam to go through the cleansing rituals and for her leprosy to be, to be gone. And God healed her of her leprosy. And I just want to apply that story somehow and imagine that there might be family members right now who are outside the camp because they've been infected with sin and there is a cleansing that is underway. But what I really want to say about this story is notice please that dishonor does not damage the person who is being dishonored it only damages the person who is doing the dishonor and and leprosy of course is isolation and that's what dishonor does it isolates us it puts us outside the camp puts us outside the flow and the purpose of the family but honor which is what Moses does when he intercedes for his sister honor restores the family and i just prophesy this with authority and experience back in our own church honor will bring your family to restoration it will 
One more story. Here's, here's another story. Genesis chapter nine. This is another family story. Noah, you, you know about Noah and the ark and the flood. Noah's whole family is allowed to come into the, flood, into the ark because he walks with God. Because he walks with God, his whole family comes into the ark and they've been together on the ark during the entire flood. It, it's a pretty long time that they're together as a family. I went on a family cruise with Beck's family, it was about 10 days. It was a lot. It was a lot. This family has been on a boat together for 370 days. When it's finally time to come out of the ark, oh my goodness. I mean, I don't think they had showers in the ark, so everybody's smelling. The animals are smelling. It's, they're safe, but it's been a rough voyage. Anyway, when it's time to come out of the ark, Noah needed a drink. This is in the Bible. Some, some people didn't know this was in the Bible after the second service. I had to show it to them and explain it to them. First thing Noah did when he got off the ark was look for a bar. Couldn't find them because they'd all been wiped out, but he found some, he found some wine or vodka or something. I don't know what he found, but he had a drink, and then he had another, and he had another, and he got drunk. Look at it, it's in Genesis 9. This is, the Bible's real, y'all, I'm telling you. So he gets drunk, and not only does he get drunk, he takes his clothes off, so he's naked and he's drunk. And his son, Ham, walks in to find his dad naked and drunk. Now, if you're gonna be in a family, there are gonna be times when you see one another's flesh and what you do when you find a family member who is exposed, what you do when you see someone else's flesh really matters. And what Ham did as the son of a drunken father was he dishonored his dad. Noah is naked, Noah is naked. He started telling everybody. And I'm not suggesting that we ignore problems that are in the family, but I, I feel like there's a spirit of dishonor in America right now where we are so quick to have too much enthusiasm when some spiritual leader is exposed as, being, as having some flesh. Would you agree with me on that? So Ham told everyone, when they told Sham and Japhez, they found a covering and they walked backward into the tent where their dad lay and they covered up the nakedness. They refused to look on, on his uncovered condition. And a few years later, when it was time to bless the children and to send them into their destiny, their family destiny, their trajectory, through the Holy Spirit, Noah prophesied and he said, Shem, you're gonna be the head of all the Semite nations and it came to pass. And he says, Japhez, God wants you to be the head of all the European tribes and it came to pass. And through the Holy Spirit, Noah said, and him, your son will be cursed. Your son will be cursed because what you did has gone deep into the genealogy, the spiritual genealogy of your children and your grandchildren. And the Bible says that the family of Shem and, Shem and Japheth enlarged and enlarged, but the family of Ham became slaves. 
And, and I just, I don't know if this seems like a hard message or not, but I really feel that it's such a powerful liberty for us to enter into shame. You can dishonor politicians and you can dishonor your spiritual leaders and you can dishonor one another and you can dishonor your neighbors and you can dishonor your spouse. I'm specifically mentioning things that the Bible has a verse that says honor these. You can dishonor all of those things, but you cannot carry the glory of God and dishonor at the same time. If you're gonna be a carrier of the glory of God, we have to put on honor. Does this make sense to you? And then the final story, and I'll close with this. Mark chapter six, Jesus is making his ministry tour and it's time to go to Nazareth, his hometown. And as soon as he walks into his hometown, he discerns the atmosphere. And this is what he says about the atmosphere in his hometown. He says, a prophet is without honor in his own town. And, you know, I I feel like Jesus was gonna come to his hometown to do great exploits. I think he was gonna do some miracles. He had just healed the woman with the issue of blood. He had just raised a daughter from the dead. I feel like every intention of his heart was to come into Nazareth and to do great works, to do healings and miracles and, and to help the city. But, but the Bible says they treated him as ordinary. They, they said among themselves, oh, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just a carpenter? Oh, oh, we know him. We went to school with this guy. He's not gonna be able to carry much of the glory of God. And the Bible says that Jesus was able to do only a few small miracles in his own town because there was no atmosphere of honor. And I don't understand. I think Jesus can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, but the reality is they had cut themselves off from their ability to receive Jesus because they were, they were failing to honor the one who deserved the most honor. And today I stand here and I just wonder, what did they miss because they failed to honor Jesus appropriately? And what are we missing? What are we missing? Because our spirit carries disappointment and shame and familiarity and it's not the intent of our heart to honor God the most I want to pray with you I want to close in prayer and just ask you right now if you would to bow your heads what I think my assignment is for you today is to activate a season of honor a tangible spiritual activity that heals your families and if your if your family is healed your community is going to be healed if your community is healed Your state's going to be healed. If your state is healed, the whole nation can be healed. So I really believe that the revival God wants to send in these last days has to do with restoration of family. I just have three things, and I'll pray these quickly. Number one, who would give me permission today? Who would say, Pastor Jim, I I hear this word, and my heart says, I really do want to honor God. I want to honor him more than I have been more than anything. I want the weight of my life. I want the anchor of my soul to be my adoration, my adherence, my respect for God. I want to worship him. I want to be, I want to be a follower. I want to be honored by him. I want honor to be the centerpiece of my life. And so I'm going to raise my hand and give you permission, Pastor Jim, to include me in your closing prayer because I'm making a tangible decision right now to be an honorer of God. Would you just lift your hand all over the, all over the, yes, thank you, thank you. Going to be an honorer of God. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. The second thing that I'm going to pray, oh, my goodness. The second thing I'm going to pray is that shame would be broken by the power of God's love. 
this and I've been at this too long to know that even people who worship on Sunday morning, we've re- we're really good at hiding. If today you've come to worship Jesus, but there's an episode in your life, you did something or somebody did something to you or whatever, and it just feels like it's limiting. It feels like it's attacking your identity. It feels like it makes you less than you know God intends for you. I want to pray a prayer that breaks shame right now. I have faith for this. I really believe that we can pray a prayer and you can enter a new dimension of freedom from anything in your past. Anything in your present is making you feel like you don't belong to God. I'm going to break that right now in this closing prayer. I just wonder who would respond. Responding is important because it does activate your faith. Who would respond and say, Pastor, I'll be honest. I, I, I need you to pray that shame would be gone out of my life. Just lift your hand right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being honest with God. Oh, thank you for being honest with God. And then the last part of this prayer is going to deal just simply with our families. Who would say, Pastor, I give you permission to pray for my family because there are parts of my family that are so broken and without God's help. I mean, just like Paul on his knees, this is the reason that I'm praying that we would fulfill our family destiny. And it doesn't look like there's any destiny right now. Just lift your hand and say, I give you permission to pray for my family. I've got a prodigal child. I've got, I've got a difficult situation. I, I need God's help. Thank you for responding. Thank you. Thank you. Would you stand together, please, for this closing prayer? Father, we we just want to thank you again for the cross. It wasn't just coincidence that today we remembered your broken body and your shed blood. And one of the things that happened on the cross is you made shame illegal in our lives. When we're washed in the blood of Jesus, sin should have no residency, no authority in our life. So in the name of Jesus, we do two things. We say, Lord, as you honor us, so we honor you. (laughs) Lord, I release over this spiritual family, this great church, Summit Church, I release over them now a mantle of honor. I release over them a trajectory from in, they would be strengthened inside by the Holy Spirit to default to honor, not dishonor. We default to honor. We, we release people from the bondage of having to perform the way we think they should perform. And we look at people and go, oh, God made them. I see the image of God. I see, I see bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So, Father, I pray that the thing that shifted in the garden would shift back right now. And we would say, we're going to see people differently. We're going to honor. We're going to honor your creation. And, Lord, in the authority of Jesus' name, I break a spirit of shame. I, re- I resist the work of the devil to promote shame among those that you have honored. And, Father, I just... I just say, shame, you are trespassing. You have no place in the sons and daughters of God. 
shame, leave. You are illegal in the life of a redeemed son or daughter of Jesus. And finally, Lord, I just pray for the restoration of families. I pray for every person in the sound of my voice who is thinking, they lifted their hand, they were thinking about something specific that was broken. And I'm asking you to heal it. I'm asking you to heal it in the month of September. I'm asking you, God, for unexpected phone calls or emails or letters, things that will cause us to go back and say, I remember when that preacher from Dallas activated our faith to expect and believe that the way the situation is is not the way the situation has to be. So we activate hope right now. Lord, if it doesn't happen in September, it's going to happen in October. It's going to happen in November. Lord, we believe that you are a God who reconciles and restores. And we're going to do our part. You've given us a tool. We're going to honor. We're going to honor one another. In Jesus' name. Would you just give the Lord praise on your hands? Would you just give him a clap offer right now? Um, I know that I have gone past the time that I'm supposed to, but there is one more thing that I really feel like I'm supposed to do with your permission. Pastor Bill, would you come for a second? I, w- I would like to honor you. And I know that this is not a day, this is a, I, I didn't ask permission to do this. Mel doesn't know that I'm doing this, but I'd like to just honor you with a prayer. You guys mind? You've already stretched your hands out toward one pastor to honor, but would you stretch your hands out toward, toward Pastor Mel? Father, I just honor this man that you've assigned this regional responsibility of presenting the gospel and reaching the hearts of so many throughout this entire region. Lord, I this is not self-pity, but I think nobody really knows what pastors carry when, they, when they're real, when they love people and love you. So I just, I just bless the man of God now. And I hear the Lord saying, steward the dawn, that the night is far spent and there is an awakening that you are sensing. The light is increasing It's not quite daylight yet, but you can feel the morning beginning and just release over you the grace and the anointing to steward the dawn. Um, This is a a new day, and with the new day comes a new dimension of authority. I just release over you surprise abilities in the realm of answered prayer in the realm of wisdom, in the realm of discovery and adventure, territories that you have dreamed about, things that you and Kim have whispered in your secret places to the Lord and to one another. The Lord says, this is the time for fulfillment. This is the time when you're gonna see those things come to pass. And so I honor the man of God for his faithfulness, but I also honor him for what you are about to endow him with and entrust him with. Lord, I thank you that the calling that is upon his life is honorable. He has a tremendous army of people around him, a family, a family, God, 
a family that says, lead us, Pastor Mel, lead us. And I thank you that the glory that's in the church is about to exponentially increase because, um, because we hunger for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for letting me share with you today. God bless you. What a good word. And uh, thanks, Pastor Jim. Doesn't make me feel like crying today. I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Uh, guys, we're going to close. And one more word of prayer. I just want to pray a blessing over you while I'm doing that. Some of our team's going to join me here at the front of this room. And if you need prayer for anything, if, if after what Pastor Jim has spoken, maybe something stirred up in you and your heart, you know, like, man, I just got to, I got to agree with somebody. I need somebody to pray with me about this. Uh, we'd be honored to do that. So please take advantage of that. Um, and uh, as we're dismissed, just make your way to the front of this room. Let us pray with you before you go. So let me pray for you and just pray a blessing over you. Lord, we just pray for every person in this place, every person watching online, that Lord, we would be stewards of your glory that we would carry it with us, that we would honor well, honor beyond what people deserve, not because they deserve it, but because it's what our hearts need. So God, I pray that we would honor well, that we would honor you, and that as we do that, as we make those decisions to honor, we'd see healing and reconciliation happen in relationships. So God, I pray that, Lord, what, what Pastor Jim prayed today would come to pass, that we would be a family that loves each other well, imperfectly but well and I pray that you be glorified in us so God I just pray a blessing on us as we leave here today that we could be a blessing for your glory and for your kingdom and it's in Jesus name we pray amen guys I love you more than you know I'm so glad I get to be your pastor God bless you and have an awesome week